Grab your Bibles, uh, open up to Romans 15. Uh, we're going to be kind of uh, heavy on Scripture today, so you might want to grab your Bible, or if you see a neighbor with one, cozy up to him. Now, don't cozy up to him like my two-and-a-half-year-old does. He goes and grabs his blanket, and he gets a really, and he throws it over, and he goes, cozy. So, not that kind of cozy, but uh, get friendly there. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people peoples extol you. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave you to be a minister of of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." Now, as you know, as we study through this book, uh, Paul writes, uh, you know, the book of Romans in Greek. And in English, it translates, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. The word accept and accepted here means to, to take someone as, as your friend, to be their friend, to allow someone into your home. I mean, do you allow strangers to come into your home? No. In fact, in today's cell phone day and age, if somebody appears at your door, you're like, what are you doing here? You were supposed to call me first, you know? Where before, neighbors would just come over and knock, oh, hey, how you doing? Come in for a visit. No, call me first before you appear at my door. You know, that's kind of the mentality we have today. To allow someone into your home. To find a place in your heart for someone. I accept you. I receive you, another translation says. Paul says to us that, the, that in the body of Christ, we are to accept one another, to grant access into your heart as Christ has done for you, to glory, to the glory of God. He's talking to us, to, you know, as a church, and, and he's not saying, go out into the world and search, someone, search for someone to accept. He's not saying, go out there and be nice to other people and accept them. And another scripture, you know, you know, that's another scripture we've studied over and over. But this one is about the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ, you are to receive one another. We're supposed to open our homes to one another. After church, who's, who's, who's having lunch? Who's, you know, whose place are you going to? Or, or are you going to go fellowship together? You know, during the week, do you get together? Who are you hanging out with? Hmm. He says, when we do this consistently, it brings praises to God. This type of stuff pleases God. Like a father when the kids are getting along, you know, in the back seat on a car trip. 
<laughs> this is like the babysitter coming over and the kids giving you know, them an easy night. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, the kids were in a mood all day long, and my wife's like, we need somebody to take the kids tonight. And I'm like, yes, amen, praise the Lord, I'm in agreement. I mean, they were just kind of whiny and needy and complaining all day long. This was before Christmas, and, and, and I'm just like, come on, give us a break. And, you know, so, so, you know, so we call a friend, and they come over, and they take the kids for the night, and we got out of town. I mean, we went out to eat and stuff, and, you know, we got home, and, and the babysitter tells us, you have the best kids. They were so easy tonight. And we're thinking, you should have seen them earlier. You know, we should have had you over earlier, you know. But the point is that when we get along as the body of Christ, not just in our conversations, but when we gather together, it pleases God. It pleases, you know, it pleased us as parents. As irritated as we were that they were good when we were away, it pleases us to know that they did not give the babysitter a hard time, you know. I mean, they, I, I guess my son hasn't quite got that for me yet. I mean, when my mom, four boys, you know, and my mom would have a babysitter over and, you know, Christmas time, one, one kid would always, my older brother would always somehow knock over the tree. I was never involved, but he was all, you know, but I mean, you know, we, we played hide and seek. We'd convince one brother to get into the dryer and we'd turn it on and thump, thump, air cycle people. I mean, we're not that, okay, anyway, um, but I'm just saying, but my parents would get home and we would get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? Well, when we, as the body of Christ, get along, our father, our parent, is pleased about that. It brings a smile to God's face, in a sense. And it brings glory to God when outside the church, they see the church getting along. Wow. Instead of the church fighting. What ends up in the news? What ends up on Facebook? What ends up in the gossip stuff? When church fight, you know, when church members go after each other, it's not a good thing. I mean, as Americans, we love our personal spaces. We, we get along when we have fences and, and our cars. We don't have to ride in the bus that much, right? You know, I mean, that's the goal is, you know, we want that. I mean, go to another country and let's talk about, you know, being really crowded. Let's talk about personal space. I, I've been to Japan. And in Tokyo, did you know they pay people to push you onto the train, the metro system, whatever you want to call it, you know, like BART? They pay people, and they, if there's a space, somebody's going to get in that space. Because, I mean, literally, they're pushing you as the doors are closing, okay? Talk about personal space. Go to India. There's people everywhere. We, as Americans, love our personal space. But we forget that we need to accept one another. We need to come together as the body of Christ, just as Christ accepted you. Oh, okay, well, how did Christ accept you? Well, you got to remember, before we accepted Christ, Christ accepted us. He put himself on the line for us while we were still sinners. He accepted us unconditionally. So when we accept each other, we're saying, no matter who you are, I'm going to accept you. That's easy to say. Sometimes a little harder to do. He accepted us completely. It's like, you know, it's like marriage. Lisa accepts me for my greatness and all the other junk that comes along with that. 
all of my opinions, all of my stubbornness. We need to accept each other completely. He accepted us in a, in a redemptive way. He buys us back. He redeems us. His blood on the cross was shed for us. It, and guess what? It gains him what? Other than fellowship with us, it gains him nothing. He did it out of his heart. We have, to, we have this idea that God has to love us, right? Like, you know, well, God loves me, but he doesn't really like me. Have you ever felt that way? Well, God loves me, but he really doesn't like me. You know, I want you to understand, God gave you the personality that you have. He likes you. He may not like some of the things that you do. He may not like the choices that you make, but he loves you, and he thinks you're great, and he wants to have a better relationship with you. So let's apply this to anyone that we're having trouble accepting, because God has accepted us. Do you have anybody in your life that you're having trouble with? I mean, I mean, I know it's not you. It's, it's them, right? <laughs> I mean, they're such an idiot, you know. Some people are just hard to love, right? They just, you know, they just won't leave you alone. Or, you know, do you have a group of people that you feel that way about? You know, maybe it has to do with certain weight. You know, person of certain weight you don't like. They, uh, or maybe a certain gender. I mean, right now, it's hard to be a man in certain leadership positions, right? I mean, with all the stuff going on, because all men are perverts, Right? I mean, that's what the world says. But all women, they're just crazy, loony, off the rocker, you know. <laughs> you know, right? Maybe a certain age. You can't stand old people. They're old. I mean, for God's sake, they're old. Or maybe it's kids. They're always whiny. They're always crying. Can't believe it. Or maybe a certain ethnic group. Well, they're always this or they're always that. This always happens with blank. Hmm. Maybe certain religious persuasion. Hmm. Certain lifestyles. You know, we struggle in these areas, and the Lord keeps bringing that type of people back into our lives for some reason, back into our path, and we can't ignore them, and we shouldn't be rude to them, and we certainly shouldn't be gossiping about them. How are you doing on your gossip, by the way? We have a choice. We can act like the world acts and be just like the world, but... If we start to imitate Christ on these issues, it brings glory back to whom? To God. Better than any service could do. Any worship song could do. Anything that we sing, more than anything that we do around the grounds of this church, how we treat each other is more important than all of that. And it brings glory to God. When you see people truly love each other, you know, love is an attracting force. People are always looking for love, right? Love is a great and wonderful thing. And when you found, find it, you try to do everything you can to hold on to it. Now, Lisa and I, I mean, I know I'm perfect. I mean, I, I know she's perfect. Wait, wait. No, we're, neither of us are perfect. We've been married a little over 24 years. 
and, you know, going back home and stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of friends that have been married about the same length of time and all that. And a lot of us are, you know, I'd say most of us from our group, um, for some reason, the, the Lord's really blessed and we're, we're still all together, okay? And that's a good thing. But I, I can tell you, if I wanted to, I could nitpick Lisa to death and Lisa could nitpick me to death and we could get a divorce. You know what I'm saying? No matter what relationship you're in, you could do that if you want to go down that path. But we need to accept each other for who we are. We made a commitment. So therefore, we're going to stay together through thick and thin, through good and through, through not so good, and all those things that go into a marriage, because, you know, not any marriage is perfect, right? Okay? I think you understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying there's some big thing that Lisa and I are going through. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if we wanted to nitpick, we could. Paul is teaching us. And he's really the perfect person to teach us this lesson. Because at one time, he was the most hateful, religious person you would have ever met. And this is really why he's perfect. He looked into the mirror, and he knew he was a follower of God. His life was completely different than other people. You know, people recognized that after he accepted Christ, he changed so much, and so did Paul. He recognized that to to the point where he took another name from Saul to Paul. Now, you know, you know, he was like, don't, don't call me Saul anymore. I'm different now. I'm not that same person. This is a huge difference for him, and he begins to accept Gentiles. Now, Gentiles for him, this was a huge group of people that were out there that he had been raised to look down upon completely. His parents taught him this. So don't tell me, well, this was just how I was raised. Believe me, Paul was raised to hate everybody but a Jew. His religion taught him to do this, to quietly look down upon Gentiles. Now, what is a Gentile? I mean, we've covered this over and over, right? A Gentile is anybody who is not a Jew, plain and simple. I mean, for him, there was two different types of people in the world, a Jew and not a Jew. Didn't matter what color your skin was, didn't matter anything else. Two ethnic groups, a Jew and not a Jew. So it doesn't, doesn't matter what you look like. You're in a category of not a Jew. This is how Paul was raised. You have us Jews God has protected us. He brought us out of Egypt. He, you know, you have Moses, you have Joshua, helped take the land. Who did they take the land from? Not a Jew, okay? Didn't matter the ethnic groups, a whole bunch of different groups, but they were not a Jew. King David wrote the Psalms and on and on and on how God protected the Jews. God had made specific promises to us, the Jews, and repeated them over and over and over. They took these promises and said, basically, they're for no one else. So Saul rose up, and he had this ingrained prejudice in his life. He, it's like a religiously approved prejudice. Now, just so you know, his parents actually gave him the name Paul. You know, we, we think of, you know, it changed it. it but back then, for, for him, he had three different names. And Saul was one of them. Paul was another one. And the third one, we don't know. But think of it like having a middle name. Because, uh, you know, he grew up where, where he had Roman citizenship, so he wanted a Roman name also. So that's the reason why he had this other name there. But, you know, my dad was like this. I, I knew him as dad and grew up, you know, hearing him called Arliss. 
A-R-L-E-S, Arles. Um, but, you know, ever so often I'd hear him called Arles Ray. And then I'd go up to Oklahoma and people called him Ray. And I'm like, Ray? Who's Ray? I didn't understand that. It was weird to hear that. Paul was raised in Tarshish. His early learning was there. And all the way through college, all the way through his great education that he had, you know, rivaled the Alexandrian education. And, you know, by the time he was in his 20s, he was multilingual, could uh, speak multiple languages and, and, and understand all these different things. But he was still a Jew. His dad apparently was wealthy, had a lot of money, you know, and, and bought his Roman citizenship. He ends up in Jerusalem as at the finest Jewish school available, and he's t- learning under Gamaliel. He, he was being groomed to be one of the most powerful Pharisees and to be part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling party for the Jews. And Christ comes along and messes all this up by accepting him and receiving him. And Paul didn't, you know, it's kind of funny, Paul didn't receive Christ, Christ received Paul when Paul realized who he was. In fact, 8, 8, 1, Acts 8.1, we're, we're going to go there in a second, but thousands of Jews are converting to Christianity, and they, you know, uh, they don't see it as escaping Judaism. They see it as completing who they were. So, you know, they're still going to synagogue. They're still going to temple. They're still worshiping, but it has a big problem. You have the Messiah, and he is the Son of God, and it's shocking to many Jews. To say that Jesus was the Son of God, I mean, it's been three years now. And then, in the name of Christ, he's preaching with boldness, explaining the Scriptures like never before, healing people, raising people, casting out demons, and it's rocking Jerusalem what's going on. And in Acts 8.1, it says, On the day of great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, the, all except the apostles were scattered throughout uh, Judea and Samaria. But Saul began to destroy the church. So this was before he met Christ here. Going from house to house, he dragged out both men and women and put them in prison. I mean, he's not going to sit by while these weird fanatics ruin his religion, his Jewish way of life. He's not going to do that. He is on the war path. So now Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters uh, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called Christianity back then, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, you idiot. Okay, he didn't say that, but whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7, it says, the, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, or he could see nothing. So they led him by hand to Damascus. And, and this has got to be really weird for him because, I mean, my mom's 72 now and, and she can't see like right here. This is all in focus, but right here is all blurred because of macular degeneration stuff. She can't drive and all that kind of stuff. I mean, but I mean, she's a very practical woman. You know, I can, I can deal with this. I can, she lives by herself and she cooks by herself and she's okay, you know. But that's got to be such a weird thing to be able to see all your life and all of a sudden you can't see. 
Paul doesn't know he's going to be able to see again. All he knows is that he is blind at this point. For three days he was blind and, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go into the house of uh, Judas on the straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and there's no way I'm going. And all the harm he has done to his holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this is the man, uh, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, and I love the obedience here. He said, But Lord, and the Lord said, Go and do. So he did. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Paul's eye or Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I mean, you can imagine the Jews here. Welcome signs there. Welcome Saul, you know, Saul of Tarshish, great, great teacher, great leader. You know, he's a big name. They had already knew that he was coming. So you can imagine the, what's going on here. And, and verse 20 says that at, at once he began to preach in the synagogues, because he was welcome there to preach, okay, that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astounded or astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So now his old allies, uh, the Jews, uh, are plotting to kill him. I mean, they went from being buddy-buddy to, we need to kill this guy. We need to get rid of this guy. And one day he went from being the man to being on the outs. And the rest of his life he would have to watch his back because the Jews wanted to kill him. Verse 26, it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but many of them, or, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. You can imagine. I, I, I would be hesitant too. Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now this lasts for a little while, and then there was such an uproar that they literally put him on a boat and sent him back to his, his hometown Tarshish uh, to, to learn and to teach. And, and all of this happened because he accepted Christ. Coming to Christ means... That you are less cool sometimes, that you will make less money sometimes, you might have less friends sometimes, less prestige, 
And a group that thought you were cool now think you're off your rocker. There's something wrong with you. I mean, can I get an amen on this one? You know what I'm saying? I mean, news will tell you. I mean, you know, wow. I mean, if you're a Christian, news will just dismiss you. People in, in certain worlds would just, you know, out of hand just, oh, they're, they're, <laughs> they're one of those people. But on the other hand, you really don't have a choice, do you? Because in the end, you, you win. How do you win? Well, you hold on to the hope of Jesus. Well, what is that? The hope, is Jesus, the hope of Jesus is knowing that you will be in heaven with him. Now, that's an amen type of statement, right? I mean, I tell you, you know, you know, leave it to Jesus to take the Gentile-hating Pharisee, a self-righteous, arrogant Jew, and make him, guy, you know, guy number one ambassador to reach the Gentiles. I don't understand God sometimes. You know, God is... God is not always like this. He, he gives us skills. He gives, you know, trains us, gives us certain, um, you know, uh, giftings and stuff and, and, and puts us in the game. But sometimes, I tell you, he recruits, you know, the team, you know somebody to the team to somebody that, that really shouldn't be there according to our standards. We go, what, that person? You want them to do what? You know, it'd be like me trying to lead worship. It's, you know, unless God gave me a special ability, it's not going to happen. Or at least the musical part of worship. You understand what I'm saying. But why does God choose unlikely people for his glory? He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of this world so that he can be glorified. He is the focus, and we are not. Too often we think we're the focus. Well, I'm serving God. I'm doing this. Instead of, well, I'm doing this for God, and God's getting the glory out of it. That's where the focus needs to be. He is the focus. It is His world. It is His plan. It is His church. Because if it was my church, we would all transplant to Hawaii and be on the beach right now, worshiping the Lord. But it's His church. Look for God to use the wrong person. Now, another thing, look for God to call you to the, sometimes to do the thing you, you said you would never do. So be careful saying, I would never do that, okay? Because God might call you to do that. I mean, there, there is, there's no such thing as a, a full-time Christian and a part-time Christian. I mean, there's some people that get paid to do certain things like preaching and, and working and different things in ministries and stuff, but, but the only difference is, is, is people getting paid. The, the, you're still a full-time Christian like I'm a full-time Christian. God calls people to different places at different times to do certain jobs. So what is your job for the Lord? What, is, what has He called you to do? Are you willing to do God's will? God wants us to change our lives like Paul did. Where people once, who were our friends, are really irritated when we show up sometimes. Why? Because we're on a mission from God. We start to understand who God is, and we're out there trying to tell the world. We have some, some Gentiles out there, and God is calling us to reach them. And he's going to use you to do that. See, we need to understand that God is calling us to action. God is calling us to do more than what we're doing. I mean, listen to the, you know, the former arrogant Pharisee talk about the Gentiles now. 
I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Paul is talking to the Gentiles, the people he grew up hating. You're full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles may become an, ex- become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He now loves people. And he's starting to wrap up this letter to the Roman people that he's been writing. In the Greek, what is he saying here? He's saying, I am a priest. And my, my offering to God is not rams, not lambs, not, not all these different things that are burnt on the, on the you know, altar. My offering to God are the Gentiles. And I stand before God, and this is what I'm offering to Him in worship. Hmm. What He wants to do is to go before God and say, I did what you told me to do. See, when we get to heaven, we'll we'll be able to look God in the eye because Christ has cleansed us completely. We're not going to be in shame before God. But my question is, are you going to be before God to be able to say, I did what you told me to do? And for him to reply, well done, good and faithful servant. See, for Paul, it was the Gentiles. My question for you is, what is it for you? I can't answer that question for you. But at some point, you have to know what your purpose is. What is your reasonable worship to God? What is it? You know, for some of us, We think that our purpose for God is to look right past our family and and we have to go and do, do, and do, and do. And you shouldn't do that. I have two little boys at home. I have a wife. I have a father-in-law that lives with us. I need to be there for my family. And that's what, you know, part of my calling is to raise my young ones before the Lord and to offer them up to God, to train them in the way that they should go. I need to serve them as I serve God. That's part of my calling, and I don't want to neglect that. But our callings over time, as my kids grow up and get out of the house, my calling will change, just like my calling changed before. You know, I I didn't have kids. I did a lot more stuff around here. All of a sudden, I have kids, and not so much, you you know what I'm saying? Your calling changes over time. So as your life has changed, what is your calling? How has it changed over time? You know, you may, you may be called to serve in, in one area in your life, and that's it. But many of us are called to do multiple things. Love our families, raise them well, and also do what does God have for you. It may be one calling early in life, completely change later in life. You have to go before God and say, what do you, how do you want me to serve you? What, what does my life look like in this world for you, Lord, to be able to say to God one day, I did my best. I know it's not perfect, but I tried to do what you asked me to, to do. 
And the one source that allows us to do these things is the Holy Spirit. You know, so often we, we think about Jesus dying on the cross. We think about our Father in heaven. But we ignore what's innately inside of us. That when we accepted Jesus, what went inside of us? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power to do all the things that God has called us to do. So find out what your calling is and then use the power that's within you. And I'm not, not saying so mumbo jumbo out there. I'm saying pray to God and ask him to, to enliven the Holy Spirit within you to serve him well. Don't ignore God. Don't ignore him. It's not, well, I've accepted Christ, so I'm done. My, my little one at six years old accepted Christ. Is this job done? Is my job done? Absolutely not. Now it's, how do I mold him so he serves the Lord as he grows up? And to figure out his calling as he does that, not my calling. He keeps saying, well, I want to be, a, and I haven't coached him on this. I want to be a pastor like you, Dad. And I keep going, well, there's other things. I want you to be an engineer. I want you to be, you know, there's other things that I, you know, we'll see what that has for you, what the Lord has for you. Because no matter where you're at in life, you can serve the Lord. I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I've told this story multiple times. How, you know, we go on a mission trip to Africa, and we come back, and, and one of the, you know, two of the most liberal companies, Levi's and Gap up in the Bay Area that my wife worked with, said, hey, come in and tell us about your mission trip. I mean, think about that for a second. Anti-religion in many ways, saying, here, come in and tell us about your mission trip that, that you took with your church. I tell you, that's a calling. How do you live out your life? In the middle of your life, how does God present himself? What opportunities does God give you? And then you can either ignore them or go for it. I want to encourage you to go for it. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll pray as the, as the worship team comes back up and finishes up for us. Lord, you are, you are an amazing God. You take, uh, you take us that are full of sin. You take us that, uh, that are sometimes just worried about life. And you can change us into a, a, a changing force in this world to affect our family and friends, to affect strangers, to change them in a way that presents the gospel to them, that leads them back to you, Lord, our wonderful Creator. I pray that you enliven the Holy Spirit within us, that you awaken us to the calling that you have for each one of us, and it's so different for each of us, that we not ignore that in our own life. That maybe we turn to you and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me this week or this month or, or this year? What do you want me to accomplish? And that when we ask that question, Lord, we know that you will answer. Mm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he bless you when you follow his ways. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.